getting on to um, acquiring land in Ghana, um, it would be really interesting for you to talk a little bit about whereabouts you are in Ghana, how you got your land, and then how that could transfer onto other people being able to acquire land in Ghana. My name is Dr. Asha Sefenit Wadasi. And like many people of African descent, I used to live in the UK, but I always had a dream which developed into a plan to move to an African country of my dreams. After traveling around several African countries on the African continent, I finally settled on Malawi, a small country the size of the UK, which is in the east side of the African continent. And I love it here. My podcast is about my life in Malawi, how I got here, how I'm managing to stay here, and some of the interesting things I get up to during my daily life. I also focus on helping you to break through with your own best life plans for living in your own hot country of your dreams or just having the life you want. I also look at your money freedoms, your job freedoms and many other things that can help you to get that best life. So stick with me as I take you through the living your best life in Africa experience. It's going to be a blast. Okay, welcome. I'm here with Sister Ya, who is from the Sankofa Repatriation Assistance Program. And I mean, I know nothing about this program, but Sister Ya, she's going to tell us all about it. So Sister Ya, thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview. My audience is just going to love this because there are many, many people who, when they think about... Um, returning home even if it's just to visit short stay long stay or live Ghana tends to be one of the first countries that comes up for them and I've traveled to Ghana I've got good good people in Ghana but I've never actually put down roots there and so for me it's a real real honor and a pleasure to be able to speak to you as somebody who knows about this stuff and so um, if we can start by you introducing yourself to the audience, if you tell them about yourself and about how you ended up living in Ghana. Uh, yes. OK, so I'm from the United States and uh, originally from the state of Mississippi. And I grew up, my, my parents were in the military, so I'm what a lot of people would call an army brat. Mm-hmm. And- and um, so I moved up, I grew up kind of moving around a lot. And then I joined the army after I. Oh, uh, yes, mm-hmm, I did. I didn't stay a long time because I realized mm-hmm. growing up in the in the military is, a, is what they call an army brat is completely different than being in the army. And mm-hmm. I, so <laughs> I, I got out, you know, I stayed in about three years. Okay. Uh, almost four. And uh, when I got pregnant with my daughter, I got out because they have a way if you want to get out, if you're pregnant, they let you out. So uh, when my husband and I were pregnant, I got out. Um, then I went to finish my undergrad degree and I got my uh, bachelor's in political science with a minor in business. And then from there, I went to law school at the University of Memphis School of Law. 
in Memphis, Tennessee. Mm. And and then uh, I worked as a law clerk while I was in uh, law school. And then I, after I graduated and I passed the bar, I started working as an assistant attorney general. Uh, not, no, I started working as a Shelby County public defender. Uh, okay. And I did that in Memphis, Tennessee uh, for a while and before I went into private practice. And I had my own law office with a law partner for a number of years. Um, that was, uh, I practiced criminal defense, bankruptcy, uh, family law. Okay. Uh, I think what else? We did some with juvenile and, and divorce and some civil cases. A little bit of everything, but mainly my my focus was criminal defense work, and uh, we did that until I, you know I got disillusioned with the criminal justice system and the disparity and how black people are treated in the criminal justice in the legal system. Just mm. it it, uh, it really you know got me disillusioned and, and everything. So I wanted to leave. Uh, but I didn't know where, where, where would I go, where to go. And at this time I had an interest in Africa, but I didn't know how I would, you know, make the transition to Africa. So I ended up going to the U.S. Virgin Islands, just packed, okay. just one week, just asked my mom to watch the kids. I said, let me, uh, because when you practice law, you know, you, you can only, practice law where you're able to practice law you can't just go anywhere and practice law mm-hmm. but the u.s virgin islands because it's part of the united states i was able to go there and still be able to practice so i flew over and uh, requested some interviews just on a on a fly on a humbug and the assistant attorney general called me in while i was there asked me to interview while i was there visiting and then offered me a job so i came back oh. <laughs> Came wow. back, yeah, I'm packed up, and uh, me and my kids, and we moved to uh, St. Croix. St. St. Croix? St. Croix. Okay. And uh, I was there for seven years. I worked as an assistant attorney general. And while racism wasn't a problem there, there's still classism, and, mm-hmm. you know, just, now I was seeing us doing horrible things to each other every day. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) uh, Murders and rapes and incest Mm -hmm. and child molesters. It was just, I I just wanted to get away from from law altogether. You know what I mean? And then I said, okay. Um, From there, I had started traveling to Ghana uh, when I was in the U.S. Virgin Islands. I met a couple who had been going back and forth. They were good friends of mine in Memphis. And they really loved it and they talked about it so much until I really got, you know, okay, I had some people to go with because before I didn't know anybody. And so I came, started coming and came with them. Uh, and that, on the first trip there, I, I met the person who is now my husband. We're coming up on our 10th anniversary now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so met him and, you know, we kind of, you know, fell into this yeah. romantic, romantic love thing. <laughs> so I was going back and forth 
And then I did, you know, brought him over to the States. And and so that's how I got connected to Ghana. Okay. Yeah. All that's right. How I got connected to Ghana. And so uh, I I haven't had an opportunity to go to, to any of the other countries yet. Ghana has been, since 2010, uh, okay. Ghana has been it for me. Yeah. But I do hope to eventually start traveling. It's just right now, my husband and I are working on a lot of projects here in Ghana, and I just don't have the time. Mm. We're in the middle of building our house, and we got some agricultural projects, farms, and stuff like that. So I just really, and my son is in school, you know, mm-hmm. and my husband is still in the States working to, to finance all these things that we're trying to do over here. So I just haven't really had the freedom to travel yet. But well, are you saying, uh, Sister Yao, that you've had a switch here? So now your husband is in the States yes. working to find. <laughs> you met your husband in Ghana. And yeah. then he's now in the States and you're now in Ghana. In Ghana. Yeah, yeah we, switch. we switch places. Yeah. We switch places because really, I just did not want to be there anymore you know what yeah. i mean and and i and sure. I, it was just i was it was you know like depressing and you know what i mean and so my mm-hmm. husband was like fine you know what you go back and you just oversee everything that we have yeah. you know what i mean that and yes. uh, they're working but he doesn't want to be there either though that's the thing i, but, I know but one of us has to stay until well, we you know get stable here you know what i mean yeah I totally understand. Yeah. Totally understand. He's tired and he's, you know, it's the hustle. You know, you got to get up early Mm -hmm. in the morning and work all these hours just, you know, so you got to sustain yourself there and plus try to send money back over here. You know how it is. So I know how it is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I know how it is. He's over over the American dream. He's over it. He's over it. (laughs) And he's realizing it ain't all that. It ain't all that. (laughs) It's, it's not a nothing dream. like what they show you on the TV. It's a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. I bet he can't wait. I bet he can't wait to yeah. get out of there. Yeah. Because he, he here, again. He's here in January. He's already coming back. He's coming back in October. Yeah. Okay. He's he coming right. back before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, that, that is so refreshing to hear. So, really, then, because one of the things that I teach, um, people to do because I don't know about you I get asked a lot of questions about how I managed to to get to Malawi and stay in Malawi and Mm -hmm. it is about you know trying to teach people how to understand their own financial situation and I also teach Mm -hmm. people to work out how much income they need to be making per day per day for them to get free yeah. And then I also teach people how to do that using their passion, their interest, their hobby, knowledge, skills, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Because every one of us has got something that we're passionate about doing. Yeah. And I teach people how to monetize that. Yeah. Because well, that's, that's what I did. My yeah. two passions are child protection um, and employment law. So I turned those two things into a side hustle, small, it's just a side hustle, yeah. grew it alongside my day job. And then when there was enough there, I quit and then yeah. went private. Yeah. 
and yeah. then and then started to work. So would you say that that's a similar route that you have taken to get yourself financially free? Well, to be honest, um, my my husband's passion is agriculture. Right. Now, I grew, I grew up in Mississippi in the South. I grew mm. up in on what well uh, on what people call a plantation because my granddad right. was, uh, was a sharecropper, and, okay. and but we had on that land we had our own livestock we had our own hogs and chicken and because mm-hmm. uh, there my grandmother had 10 children and then those children had children which is the the, the generation i'm with you know the grandkids mm-hmm. and stuff so it was a lot of us and we weren't very wealthy so i have like this kind of rural agricultural uh, early beginnings mm-hmm. and it kind of went away but honestly, you know, because my mother left and went into the military when I was very young, uh, and so and, and and I think in her mind, while she knew how to do all those things, she wanted something better for me. Mm-hmm. So she had a, a negative view of it. Well, we're now realizing that being self-sustainable and feeding yourself and knowing how to feed yourself and grow your own food is not bad. You know what I'm saying? It's mm. a good thing. Particularly it's a now. good thing. Exactly. So I often tell people, you know, you know, we think we we doing something for one reason, but I think the ancestors and the creator has a plan. So I was, you know, blessed with this man who has sparked this thing mm-hmm. in me to get my hand back in the soil but that's his passion okay. that's all he wants to do and oh. it has really ignited that fire in me you know what i'm saying so okay. right now that's what we're doing he's there and you know we're trying to get that that self-sustainable and mm-hmm. farm agriculture and then monetize that and so we we have some ideas about how to do that so that's what we're working on but um, I'm able to do it because my husband is there and he supports me. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he's still there uh, so that I can be here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now, we've just been laughing about the irony of it, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do have to, but you are right in what you are telling everybody. Mm. Not, even I had somebody recently called me and they said they wanted to come and they had 80000 dollars and i said it's it's still not enough if you don't have a plan you know what mm-hmm. i mean I said, because that eighty thousand will dwindle and dwindle and it will that's be right gone. you know what i mean that's if right come up with something that is going to be bringing you money on a regular and consistent basis that's um, right so And it doesn't really matter where you are. We need that. We need multiple income streams because otherwise, if we don't, we're forever Mm -hmm. going to be tied to this job that basically sucks the best life out of us for the little above just making ends meet. Exactly. And so, you know, we really. Even when I was making, I was in the Caribbean and I was making six figures. I was I, I didn't feel like I made six figures after all my mm. bills. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was yeah. like, uh, you know, we're we think 
if I could just get to a hundred thousand, it's gonna be mm-hmm. but no, it's like your taxes increase, your expenses increase, everything you know what That's I mean? Right. So yes, it was I do know. Yeah. So and I was like, I can't I always knew that I could never work for anybody for 20, 30 years. I knew that. Long time as a mm-hmm. young person, I was like that. I'm never gonna do that, you know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um so I always knew that I had to do something and build something of my own, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, and have something that I could also leave to my children. And part of the problem with my, with you know, when I had my own law office, none of my children were interested in being lawyers. So that wasn't mm-hmm. something I could leave to them. You know what I mean? You can't all of yeah. own a law firm if you're not a lawyer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Uh, but this land that we have, they can inherit that, and these these, mm-hmm. these farm and agriculture projects that we're doing, they can inherit that. The house that we're building, they can have that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, it's, we've got a, a nice little segue onto land because that's the the the, the big discussion now. Yeah, how mm-hmm. people can acquire land. There are yes. big debates, and I often slip and and talk about buying land, which is completely the wrong way. Um, because in my mind, when I'm talking about buying land, I'm talking about acquiring land. Yeah. Yeah. Because land isn't to be sold, even though money and exchanges hands. What we're yeah. buying are lifelong leases that are exactly. transferable generationally and intergenerationally. That's mm-hmm. what we're purchasing. Okay, but getting on to um, acquiring land in Ghana, um, it would be re- really interesting for you to talk a little bit about whereabouts you are in Ghana, how you got your land, and then how that could transfer onto other people being able to acquire land in Ghana. Okay, so... You don't have to be a citizen or resident to acquire land in Ghana. Oh. Um, per, the, per the Constitution, you do not. There are some mm. people out here telling people that you have to, but it's not true. You just read okay. it. You don't have to. Anybody can buy land here. Uh, well, like you say, acquire land. Yeah. Um, but I say this. You do have to be very, 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 very thorough and careful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm <laughs> Because this land thing can be very tricky, you know, and there are people who are are, are sitting, laying in wait, waiting to take your money off of you. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So um, it's best to, you know, go through somebody that you know, that's trustworthy, you know, um, one, you can go through an attorney, but even then, you got to be very careful. Let that attorney be a referral from somebody you know, somebody that knows mm-hmm. them. Because even the attorneys here will dupe you if you're mm-hmm. not careful. You understand? So you just have to be very, very careful. So uh, the land that we have currently, uh, we have um, two sites. One where we where we have our poultry farm. We have we have a thousand chicken, and we have goat, and we have I don't know if y'all have it in Malawi. Um, there's a um, bush meat called grass cutter. So we are okay. growing those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we are growing those, and um, 
So we're, we're doing husbandry along with planting, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm also looking to do, uh, get into snail farming and aquaponics with the fish and all of that. So, but okay. we have a lot of, yeah, a lot of food and food stuff growing on the land. We do cassava. And at one point we had, you know, we're doing pineapple farming. And so we do a lot on the land that we have. So on that particular land where, where my house is being built, in this area that I'm talking about now, my husband bought that land about seven years ago, and he, okay. that was based on referral. So uh, his his brother was friends with somebody, and my and my husband had told the bro- his brother that we were looking for some land. So he was able to talk to some people that he knew and trusted, who was able to refer us to some land that was available. So that's how we got that land. We mm-hmm. it was totally based on referral because right. the people you know you, it is friends and when you have these relationships with friends and stuff they're gonna make sure everything is okay and they're taking you to somebody who's reliable and trustworthy mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not gonna dupe you and that the land is legitimate and this is the rightful owner you know what I mean yeah so, so just take me through that so you see a piece of land. What's the first thing, if things are running right, what's the first thing you would do in the process of trying to acquire that land? So if you don't know anything, well, you should should do it anyway. But you have asked the owner to show you the documentation. Right. Showing that they actually own it. Then you go and cross-check it at the lands commission. Right. So that's where... You know, uh, indenture. We call them in the states. We call them deeds, but here they call indentures. That's where okay. those things are recorded. The title to the property and stuff are recorded and kept at the lands commission. So once you're able to cross check at the lands commission that everything is in order and this person is the rightful owner, then from there you can go ahead and enter into an agreement, negotiate on the price of the land. Uh, you can say, okay, I can give you half up front once the indenture is prepared um then i'll give you the other half most people Mm -hmm. don't have a problem with you doing that and then once you have the indenture you go and register your land you go to the lands commission and register now here in ghana i don't know how it is in any other place when you buy land here you need to be prepared to go ahead and at least put up a barrier, a wall, if you're not ready to build anything, if you're not ready to build Mm -hmm. a house or anything else. Because what that does is signals to everybody that this belongs to somebody. You Mm -hmm. understand? As soon as you put that that wall up around that property or that barrier or something, you have to put something up so that people know it belongs to somebody. Or even if you're not ready, you can put a small little something there and let somebody live on it okay because possession ghana recognizes possession you know what i mean yes so so if you just buy land and you just leave it sitting there and then somebody else go and post up on it and stay there for a certain number of years in the states we call it uh adverse possession Mm -hmm. uh but here the thinking is, I, you own this land, and somebody's been on your land and building on your land and doing all on, all this on your land, and you don't know nothing about it. You haven't stopped. You allowed them to do it because you didn't stop. 
Because I'm telling you something, Ghana, if you come on somebody's land and you're not supposed to be there, they're not going to just let you keep building and doing everything. They're going to not, they're going to do something. You know what I'm saying? Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, a lot of people will put something up. You know, right. when we took that island, my husband built a small house there for his brothers to live in so that some mm-hmm. physical presence was on the land. Because we mm-hmm. were in the States at the time. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So yeah. nobody could come on that land and do anything. Yeah, so, uh, but, you know, now we got so much on it, nobody can come, you know. It, it, mm. it would, yeah. So, but that is the thing. You buy it, you put something up on it. Even if you, once you buy it, even if you don't, you're not ready to go register yet, you go ahead and put something on it. You put something on right. something, anything. Okay. So that, the world can see that it belongs to somebody. Somebody's there. I'm just so very, very thankful to you for giving me the time to speak with you and for the information that you've shared. And I know that the listeners are going to get so much out of this. Um, And hopefully, you know, some of them will, will be brave and will contact you and will be able to sort of make those first steps just to go and look, see... And that's it for the first part of this week's interview. You'll find all of the links that we spoke about in this interview in the show notes where you're listening to this podcast episode. Please remember to tune in for part two of what has turned out to be one of the most informative interviews that I've ever done. See you next week. You've been listening to the Living Your Best Life in Africa podcast. My name is Dr. Asha. And until the next episode, I'm out.